vampire who never knew what life was until it ran out in a red gush over your lips. They live for the pleasure, the passion, the thrill. The story you told me is, is incredible. It's amazing. And they will live forever. Don't make me do this. I cannot! Tom Cruise, Brad Pitt. Interview with the vampire. Rated R. Starts Friday, November 11th at a theater near you. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Welcome back. Welcome back to that. Uh, this is a contest-winning episode. Yeah, the our, result of the poll. Yes, our very first uh, Instagram poll, our uh, fight to the death of Kirsten Dunst movies. Our Kiki Dunst Battle Royale. Yes, indeed. Wow. And this is the winner. Uh, my name is Pete. And I'm Scott. And, and these, these are the movies, movies that made us gay. gay. Yes. Uh, we've got a great show for you, as always. Let me uh, let me turn this music down so we can get started. Scott, why don't you talk about what we watched? Oh, we watched Interview with the Vampire from 1994 with my very good friend, Darcy Miller. Welcome to the show, Darcy. Thanks for having me, guys. Welcome to the show. I'm excited. Oh, we're excited. Yeah. This movie's amazing. Oh, my God. This movie. So, yeah. So, we did a poll in April in honor of Kirsten Dunst. Kirsten Dunst's birthday on the 30th. We did most of the movies in her filmography with the exception of Drop Dead Gorgeous and Dick, which we have previously done. And, Mm -hmm. yeah, we did, like, a bracket tournament of all of her movies. And it came down to Interview with the Vampire and The Virgin Suicides. That is surprising to me. Yeah, me too. Virgin Suicides made it way longer than I thought it would. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not going to say that we uh, skewed the vote in any way. We did not do that. Uh, <laughs> we, I, I feel like I definitely was hoping for this outcome. I wanted Same. this to be the movie that we that we uh, first uh, reviewed out of her filmography. There's so many that we're probably just going to revisit and review anyway, just mm-hmm. because they fit in with our theme in this podcast. But um, this movie came out when I was in high school. Uh, I saw this movie. Uh, I had read the books. I was obsessed with the Vampire Chronicles. And uh, I just kind of understood the... I mean... I guess it like watching this movie now with fresh eyes. Is it even subtext? It's just so on the surface. Oh, it's pretty queer. <laughs> this that yeah that this is a like a love story about this family unit. But I mean, at the time, I was like, this is so subversive. You know how she she getting away with this like homosexual like family. You know, I just thought it was so subversive and was just so excited to see this on screen with like big name actors. Yeah, that was that was kind of my uh, intro to this movie and and this material. Darcy, when did you first see Interview with the I Vampire? I have an extremely vivid memory of it was my 14th birthday party and I went into the video store and my mom let me my mom was waiting in the car and she let me go in and rent it by myself. And the clerk was named Kelly Wells. He later went to prom with my sister. And he rent, he let me rent Interview with the Vampire, and then I got back out to the car, and my mom was pissed because she thought I was too young to be watching it. But I still talked her into it and got to watch it at my 14th birthday party. 
Man, that's pretty. How that's did it, pretty awesome. How did it land at the 14th birthday party? I mean, there's some there's some pretty dreamy guys in this movie. I, in this, there's like nudity and Sh- like, shocking nudity. And this is the same year as Legends of the Fall, correct? It was like, this Nin- came out. both released in '95. Long haired Brad Pitt, my favorite era, Lush Brad Pitt. Locks. It's Luscious Locks. I remember a mm-hmm. magazine. It was like <laughs> YM maybe, and they had all these pictures of him. And there was one in a heart, and it referred to his luscious locks. And that's how I've always thought about his long hair ever since. They are very luscious. There's lots of luscious locks in this movie. Um, lots of wig work in this movie. But we oh, are not sure if Brad Pitt's luscious locks in this movie are his. So I think or a that, wig. I think that they did put extensions in his hair a little bit. It seems like when they get to Europe, it seems like his hair is suddenly much more full and lustrous I than was, it was. I was just noticing that upon this recent viewing that uh, scenes in scenes in Europe and Paris, I was just like, "Oh wow, that is like beautiful hair," and it was not as 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 lustrous in the earlier. Scenes. So there is some beautiful hair work in this movie by both uh, Brad and Tom. Uh, the wig that they put Tom Cruise in looks really good too. Like it's a really good movie wig. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know about the styling, the cur- the curl, the weird loose I'm curl, the 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 style. I don't know. It just seems like there's a... some bows. I don't know about all bows situations going on. <laughs> I mean, Louis is a man of society of the time and Lestat. You mean? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, uh, Lestat. Yes, and... there are ribbons, ribbons, and bows all throughout the hair. And I also have in my notes a cinematic journey through contact lenses. Because yes. every single character has a very specific look of how their eyes are. Yes. Right. Well, that's just the that's just the mm-hmm. like crazy look of the vampires in this movie, which was super successful because we had not yeah, seen we'll vampires. Talk about like that. This. But first, I want to talk about my introduction to this movie. Yes. So I remember when this Tell movie us. came out, and just seeing it on the marquee in my small town, and just the title alone, Interview with the Vampire, just sounded so fucking cool. <laughs> and my mom, I remember, went to it in the theater with my stepdad at the time, and I was like, oh my gosh, tell me everything. Like, did you love it? And my mom fully was just like, hated it. <laughs> so I was just like, oh, I thought it looked pretty cool. So She like, was men on film. She was not having she was, it. She was not having... <laughs> the Anne Rice adaptation interview with the vampire. Too too bloody, too gory, too I think that her and my stepdad just probably just thought it was just too much. Like it was just it's a little it's a it's little a lot. it's just a oh, lot. It's a little flamboyant and yeah. just I mean I can just see this is not everyone's cup of tea of a movie. Sure. So and then I remember when this came out on video. Um, I pretty much watched anything that I wanted to as a kid. I don't know if my parents were all that restrictive of what I watched. <laughs> so I just remember just watching with them when it came out on VHS. Right. And just, I remember being blown away. And also, just, I remember just being shocked at some of the scenes of this movie. Just like, there is some, like, brutal. It's brutal. There is some brutal moments of that movie. Yeah. The, probably the first time I ever saw a naked woman in a movie. Woo! Ever. Ooh. Was this movie? Was that shot of when Claudia sees the woman bathing through the door? Oh, through the That's probably the yeah. first time I ever saw just a naked lady in a movie. Yeah, that you saw like full bush. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I and I remember just being sort of traumatized at the theater of the vampires. Yeah, where they dragged that woman out. Yeah. yeah, and I also just remember thinking when Kirsten Dunst 
and the other lady meet their ends by the sunlight, thinking it was like one of the saddest scenes I'd ever seen in a movie ever. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And how old were you approximately? I was time? probably like nine. Oh my goodness gracious. So, but yeah, but I was definitely taken with it. Yeah. Like I, I really liked it, yeah. even though I was like kind of shocked by it, but it's a shocking movie. That's kind of the point of a lot of the scenes mm-hmm. of this movie. And mm-hmm. so, and then I feel like my grandparents also, uh, just had a random collection of laser discs through my grandma's brother and interview with the vampire was one of the laser discs. I sadly do not have the laser disc for that movie. Damn. And I inherited a lot of their laser discs. Interview with the vampire sadly is not one of them. So I remember watching it on laser disc in my grandparents' basement and then later rediscovering it in high school where I, where I think I found a new appreciation for it. Right. When I got a little older and I feel like since then it's been on just steady rotation throughout my entire life so far. <laughs> I think it's a movie that we probably revisit a few times a year. Yeah, I would say I think. so. I would say so. Yeah. Oh, I haven't seen it in probably close to a decade, I'm wow. guessing. So I I've completely forgotten that Stephen Ray is in it. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, like, Tandy Newton in her bit role. Yeah. Was surprise. That was probably one of the first movie appearances by Tandy Newton, too. Yeah. Um, I also wanted to give a quick little background on Interview with the Vampire because this is a movie that I think when Anne Rice wrote this book in the late 70s, it was immediately optioned to Paramount. Like, I think even before the book came out. So this was kicked around at Paramount for the late 70s and early 80s. It went through multiple screenwriters. Nobody could quite nail the tone, the script. I mean, there's just a lot of material of these of these books Mm -hmm. that are you going to adapt? Are you going to combine books? Are you just going to do interview? And it was just sort of a movie that Paramount (laughs) really couldn't really couldn't get a handle on. So they ended up selling it off to a few studios, but it landed in the hands of Warner Brothers. And one of the big executives at Warner Brothers at the time was David Geffen, known homosexual David Geffen <laughs> record producer. And he kind Hollywood of, homosexual and he kind of took this movie under his wing and it became a big passion project for him. Sure. That he just had to get this movie made. I think that he even like wanted at one point share to play oh i've got the backstory on that on that do you yeah. know what that is well i guess in the 80s when this movie was in development hell and it didn't look like it was ever going to get made and rice kind of thought to herself maybe it's because the studios are picking up on my very oh so subtle gay subtext and mm-hmm. so she took it upon herself to take a pass at the script and, and she's credited on this version yes, as the as but she, the, she as took the it, yeah. she took it upon herself to take a pass at the script and gender flip Louie make the character female and she uh-huh. was pitching it to Cher. For, oh, would have been such a better movie. For the Lady Louie character. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh Lestat. And I guess and I guess Cher even went so far as to write uh, like a love song to use in the movie that, Ah. yeah, that obviously didn't get, you know, picked up for this version, but I guess is on one of her later albums. I mean, this does fit into Cher's aesthetic, like her sanctuary catalog in the 90s. It's very Anne Rice. Yeah. Hmm. (laughs) So during the development of Warner... 
um, Neil Jordan made a little movie called The Crying Game. And it was a huge sleeper hit. I know all there is to know about The Crying Game. So I had not seen The Crying (laughs) Game until today. I watched it right before we revisited the interview. I watched it today for the first time ever. And wow. yeah, it was not what I was expecting. Like I knew the like the main gag of the movie, <laughs> but I didn't really was ready for like the IRA like political subtext like yeah. setting of it. But yeah, so he made the Crying Game. That was a huge sleeper hit. It was nominated for Best Picture, two acting nominations for it for Stephen Ray and um, Jay Davidson. Jay Davidson, and then Warner Brothers kind of picked him up after the nomination and he won for screenplay for it and warner brothers was just like we'll work with you on anything but here is something that we've been developing that maybe you'd want to take a look at and it was interview with the vampire and he ended up doing a sort of a rewrite of Anne rice's script and neil jordan pretty much got the movie made from the success of the crying game such an odd choice like what they're just like oh yeah this ira political like war movie that also kind of right. has like an a, LGBT like subplot a trans love story a trans love story do this vampire movie it's so weird yeah. <laughs> I don't see the connection but I think that Warner Brothers kind of saw in David Geffen that he's a really good director and if you just give him a gigantic budget your movie is going to probably look beautiful and sure. the end result is this movie looks stunning too what was the budget for this? I oh, think God. I looked it up and it was around fifty million. Which at the time that would have been high. that would have been quite a bit. And yeah. it was a pretty big hit upon its release too. I mean it grossed um look at the box office. hundred and five domestically, two hundred and twenty three worldwide. It opened to thirty six million dollars yeah. in November when and it came out. I read that Tom Cruise got ten million. Yeah. Which in ninety four was that would have been a big, big deal. Money. And also good segue into this, the casting of Tom Cruise, very out of the box. That Anne Rice at yes. the time was not she did not was not him, featuring right? it. No. Yep. She, yeah, she was not featuring Tom Cruise. Uh, myself, my older sister who introduced me to the Vampire Chronicles, you know, I had all of her old beat up copies that I took to school every day and in silent sustained reading would like read my interview, you know, interview with the vampire. Um the two of us were not having this casting at all. Because we were talking earlier <laughs> that I think this movie was pretty – it was in the press a lot at the production yes, time. it was a huge deal. And while, I mean, that's pretty common today, pretty big movies had to be reported on that they were being made and filmed. Yeah. I mean, in mm-hmm. 1994, we had, you know, we had Entertainment Tonight. Yeah. And that was pretty much it. <laughs> And Entertainment Tonight did did cover this, and they also covered the leak of the Tom Cruise footage, which was like a big scandal. Do you remember what pre TMZ, what photo or what scene they would have been shooting? Yes, it was Tom Cruise all like decroted and gross Ooh. when he like came back from the dead and was like trying to kill. Uh, oh, after the swamp, Louis and Claudia. Yes, after the swamp, like when he meets yeah. Louis and Claudia are moving out of the condo. Of their like of their <laughs> yeah they're moving out of their condo they're uh, it's like a townhouse and um, the, everything's packed up and and they start hearing like piano music and so what we saw and Entertainment Tonight showed the pictures like they were like we're so scandalized that these like pictures got leaked and then they full on showed them uh, which what a wild <laughs> what a wild part or 
character setup of him and his makeup to leak too. I think that's partly why he was so pissed. Sure. Because it's like, you leak some pictures you can't even, like, he looks pretty hot in most of the movie. And the pictures that get leaked, he looks like a gross, like, mummy, like, you know. So I think that might be partially not why he was. Yeah, not his best look in the movie. But I specifically remember that at the time. Um, my sister did have uh, a graphic novel of the of Interview with a Vampire. And I believe the graphic novel that she had was, it, was the one that depicted uh, Rutger Hauer as Lestat. Uh, they which, just they just painted the entire character. Which in the, in the Rucker How- young Rucker Hauer is very Lestat. Yeah, just that's Blade kind Runner. Of, that's era. kind of the look. Yeah, of Lestat of how he's described in the books. That's what she said she had in mind. Mm-hmm. Anne Rice. He was always her number one choice until he aged out, and then she and then she wanted Julian Sands from A Room with the View. Sure. And because- uh, the the superior movie Warlock. Um, but, but the studio said that he was not a star. He was not a big enough name. So they said, screw Julian Sands, get him out of here. And, um, I mean, of course you're going to go with Tom Cruise if he's in. Yeah. I also read that Daniel Day Lewis was like in the running. I mean, maybe. For Lestat? Yeah. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? Hmm. But I think I it I think it had to be Tom. And I'm somebody that I talk shit on Tom Cruise all the time, that crazy <laughs> Jim Jones Scientologist. But I'll backtrack and say there is an intensity about Tom Cruise from this period that that is a fucking movie star. Yes. Of just how he, he commands the screen. Was, like yeah. he is a hundred percent into this role. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Tom Cruise doesn't half-ass anything. You have to give him that at least. Yeah, and like, it's one of those true. things that he's kind of gotten comfortable in just being a movie star of Tom Cruise that he only makes Mission Impossible movies or a <laughs> uh, Jack Reacher or something that you don't see character work from him like this anymore in yeah. his career. I think probably like the last time you saw kind of him really dive into a role was probably Collateral in 2004. Oh right, uh, yeah. That yeah. that was more of a character mm-hmm. piece for him, yeah. But yeah, but there is something about Tom Cruise that just crackles on screen, and it's really beautifully done in this movie. As opposed to Brad Pitt, who does not crackle <laughs> oh, man. at all. Oh my god! Yeah, so his I, performance is I get, a little. I get what he's doing. Uh, that he's doing this very somber monotone take on this character, but it just kind of comes off to like he's bored. Yeah. Well, because he hated filming, right? He like, I remember he wanted to like buy out his contract. He hated oh my God. making the movie. Oh my God. Because Tom Cruise got to be the fun one. And yeah. then he's you know, the sad sack. <laughs> yeah. And they film like all at night and, you know, it's cold. Yeah. But still- it's a vampire yeah. movie. Come on. Yeah. Yeah, it's not going to be broad daylight on yeah. the beach. Like, that's crazy. Yeah. And I mean, this movie, I think, owes, like, Tom Cruise or um, Brad Pitt owes a lot to the success of this movie because, I mean, Brad Pitt was established like he was a star, but this and Legends of the Fall at the time sent him over the edge. Like, mm-hmm. that's what really, the, those two roles in 95 really made him a movie star. And he also made 12 Monkeys in 95, which got him an Oscar nomination. Oh, yeah. So it was told- just, it, 
it was a really important movie for the making of Brad Pitt. Yeah. Mm. But yeah, his performance is a little one note. It's a little somber. Um, but we've got some good performances around him in his orbit. Yeah. Uh, we do have to talk about Kirsten Dunst. I mean, she's the reason that we're uh, even reviewing this movie. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. She was 11 years old when she was filming this. And some of her scenes have some like major heavy dialogue for an 11-year-old. And I think she's pulling it off. Was this her first movie role? I don't know that it was her first feature. I, she was in Bonfire of the Vanities. I think that's credited as her first role. I think that she's Tom Hanks's daughter in that movie. Oh, I didn't hmm. know that. Yeah. Okay. And she did this and Little Women the same year. Oh. So two gigantic yeah. studio movies back to back. Oh, she looks so much older in Little Women. Yeah, than probably, probably Little Women was shot after. Yeah. And hmm. okay, so the character of Claudia in the books is five, but you're not going to get any kind of performance out of a five year old. So we age her up to, I mean, they never specifically state her age. And Kirsten Dunst is a small child in this movie. She could be, you know, as young as eight or nine, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but I feel like, yeah, some of the, some of the, dialogue that she has to spit out is like you know this movie is very specific and the language is very like baroque and flowery and everybody's Mm. like breathless the entire time and i think that she's keeping up with everybody and when neil jordan talks about casting the role of claudia that he talked about how we just did not want a mediocre child actor that's just sort of cutesy and delivers their lines and just sort of has to be coached off camera of this yeah. is how you're going to do your dialogue. He said he wanted a, he wanted an actress. Yeah. Like a true actress that was a child. And yeah, they landed on Kiki. Well, it works. Yeah. I mean, I kind of regard this performance by Kirsten Dunst as one of the great child star roles of all time. It's like it's like Tatum O'Neill and Paper Moon. Haley Drawsman for The Sixth Sense and Kirsten Dunst in Interview with the Vampire. That's like the pantheon of <laughs> really good sure. child performances. Well, I'm sure she'd be delighted to hear that. Yeah. And I have her on the <laughs> line now. No, I, uh, <laughs> I mean, some of her some of her scenes are kind of uh, kind of glorified tantrums. Yeah. But not all of them. But that's what's fun about them, though. No, that is what's really good because that is part of the character. She's she's aging, you know, mentally, you know, but she's staying in this Claudia body, which is which is great. And I think that they had to dial back Claudia a little bit from the book because I think in the book she's a little crueler. I think that she's written a little nastier. She's on the page. like straight up cray, like yeah. crazy in the book. Like she's <laughs> like insane, lost her mind. And I think that's part of the reason why it's just so taboo to like have child vampires. Mm-hmm. And um I in the I think she I think she's lives like thirty or forty years as a vampire, and I think in that time she just slowly loses her mind. Mm-hmm. And by the end is just like cuckoo. Because yeah, she was probably with Louis and Lestat, yeah, 40 years before they arrived in Europe. Yeah. Something like yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Something Do like we want to go a and little... speaking of wig work... Oh, oh, oh sorry, yes. 
Those I mean, beautiful wig. curls. I was thinking when we were watching it when they did the big uh, morph of when she's dying. Her and transformation. She, and then her transformation. That would have been a big deal in 94. That, yeah. That, that visual morph that they do. Yeah, it's a beautiful shot. I remember watching it on VHS at home and just being like, wow, that looks amazing. Um, and like rewinding it because it was so cool. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was one of the bigger like CG shots in the movie. Um, I do have some some thoughts on casting. We mentioned Stephen Ray earlier. I know mm. I know that he's a big uh, Neil Jordan collaborator, but other than that, I, I just feel like he's super miscast. Sure, I mean he would have just been coming off of the Crying Gang with him. Yeah, who could? Who, who else could you have seen in this role? For Santiago, I mm-hmm. mean Keanu. The thing is, the char- the way the characters are described in the book, they're all so much younger sure. than the actors that they got to portray them. Um, Antonio's character is like 15 in the book oh really yeah i've never ever read the book i find that surprising darcy you're a big reader and i'm surprised that you didn't get on a big Anne rice kick in college or something (laughs) it is yeah it's shocking to me now they are a chore they're a chore to get you have to want to finish them because (laughs) yeah and i just how many are there oh lord at this point who knows there's a lot she even started it back up in like 20 14 that's, I think. that's why i'm just so like out of the loop at the time there were like the big three there was the interview with the vampire the vampire lestat and the queen of the damned and then she just started making sequels and you know and i feel like they were a little inconsistent yes they were too yes they were mm-hmm. she would retcon character backstories and you know just completely rewrite things uh, she would give characters their own standalone novel and things that she had written about them in previous novels were just out the window. <laughs> so, uh-huh. so I've only read interview and probably the first hundred pages of the vampire Lestat. Sure. And they completely skipped over the vampire Lestat, right? And they went straight ahead to yes. making that weird queen of the dam. Yeah. And they would put, but they sort of put, Back, his backstory from the Vampire Lestat in Queen of the Damned. They tried. They tried adding some Vampire Lestat story points into it, but that movie was just Queen of the Damned. That's a whole nother. That's, that's a whole nother podcast. Yeah, of miss discussing, me with that movie. Discussing Queen of the Damned. Yeah, not, not great. No, <laughs> I mean Aaliyah. You know she she looks beautiful. She there's not a lot there as far as character, but she does the job and she looks great. And at least we have that, you know. She inspired. RIP. She inspired many a drag queen. She did with that with that look and that those moves. But um, but yeah, that movie is that's uh, a mess. It's one of those things. Rough, a mess. If they were gonna do the vampire Lestat, it would have had to have been a done deal upon filming, which that was not really how Hollywood worked in the early nineties. Mm-hmm. Was that you're not going to sign on the biggest movie star in the world to do these two vampire movies. You just have to do one. Like, well, the subtitle of this movie is The Vampire Chronicles. The Vampire Chronicles. Which implies yeah. that there's going to be more. But then they went and... But it was just one of those things that it was just sort of a lightning in a bottle situation. It, like, I think it had to be Neil Jordan to direct this movie for it to turn out like this. Yeah. And I don't think you could do that twice. Not at least with this material. Right. Like, they might have gotten another director for the sequel that just would have been bad. Yeah. Fair. Fair. Um, yeah, this... Uh, should, should we talk about Oprah walking out? Yeah. <laughs> Darcy, did you know that um, when Brad... Was it 
both Brad and Tom on I Oprah? I think it might have just been Tom. So they showed this to Oprah Winfrey and the audience, I think, because they would always do screenings for the entire audience whenever they would do like a a movie on the show. And Oprah walked out after probably the first 15 minutes of the movie. Oh, burn. <laughs> it was it was too much for Oprah. She it was too dark sided. She just said that it was just like too like too bloody, too gory, and she's not about like all that darkness in her like you know living her best life. Mm. But she mm-hmm. still she still had Tom come on and talk about the movie. After I remember watching it, I did try to find a clip of it, and it's nowhere to be found on YouTube. Yeah, it's been scrubbed. It's probably somewhere, but we didn't have that kind of time. Uh, uh, I also so I feel like Stephen Ray was a little miscast I feel like this is very early uh, Antonio Banderas in in an American movie Um, I was thinking that too of what he had done before so when did when did Desperado come out oh good question that was earlier too yeah 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 and El El Mariachi yeah I forget about those Forget about those. But uh, oh, Desperado! I watched with my dad, and there was a very uncomfortable. Like that sex scene is long. <laughs> Desperado came out in '95, so That's he would have. Antonio would have followed up a uh, interview with Desperado. Oh wow, it was after. Mm-hmm. Oh, so he followed up with it. Oh, Interesting, okay. but that was like a remake of El Mariachi and all that. So. Um, I so we're watching it today, and I always had a problem with Antonio's with this like beehive wig that they have him in. What uh-huh. what is going on with this like Elvira wig that he's wearing? It's I, like back comb. Does it's, it look? Does he have a bump in the back? <laughs> he's got a beehive. I, it's like a full I've never back noticed comb. That. We'll have to take yeah. a screenshot for it. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's way too high. He he's has just some beautiful mis- nails. He's just missing the bangs. They all have crazy nails. Yeah, they all have like these fine manicures. I love that. Um, yeah, I just, I just felt like I, I turned into one of those nerds that was just like mm, the book was better. Now I don't feel like the book is better. I do feel like they're kind of separate entities because there's so much in the books that you just they had to scale back of what works in a movie with this material yeah and um yeah so i feel like this is kind of it it exists on its own and uh so i don't really i try not to to compare and contrast them too much but having come in from the from the books and Armand being a character that I really liked, I was just like, oh, this is wrong. This is wrong. I think it works when you cast Brad Pitt. Yeah, he, yeah, Brad so, Pitt works. He, yeah. he, he's perfect mm-hmm. as uh, for Louis. I, I like that. Um, but yeah, I remember having conversations with my sister about, about this and just her kind of introducing me to the idea of of Lestat and Louis as, as this family unit and me, and it just kind of blowing my mind as a teenager and just being like, you're right. Like I hadn't (laughs) thought of it that way. And then Scott, the other day when we were talking about just kind of prepping for the podcast, you you mentioning Lestat, um, what did you say? Like he like tampering with the birth control to like he gets pregnant to save the he marriage. Gets pregnant to save the marriage. Oh my god! 
That's too much. And it's one of those things that... <laughs> so this movie is introduced that Lestat is looking for sort of a life partner or a companion, and he lands yeah. on Louis. And he's essentially after sort of his his land. Like, he wants he wants to marry a rich guy. Right. So that's who he turns. Right. Because he's just sort of this fly-by-night vampire that's always kind of looking for someone to attach to to kind of help him live because he needs money. And that's how he lands on Louis. Right. And well, speaking of which, oh, sorry, God. No, but, go ahead. Uh, it, was, it kind of bothered me. Like, Louis is supposed to be this fantastic guy, right? His strong moral compass and he's, you know, why he's so boring and blah, 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 blah. But he's <laughs> a slave-owning plantation guy who's, what, sleeping with Andy Newton and just running amok after his wife's death. I don't really, that doesn't really fit in with me. No, you're right, because his whole storyline is that he's so despondent over the death of his wife. But right. then here's Tandy Newton saying, like, hey, haven't seen you in the slave quarters for a I while. Know. And you're like, what? <laughs> I thought your whole your whole bit was how, like, you know, troubled you are. Yeah. Like, he kind of had to be a better human by... Becoming a vampire, Ooh, sort I of. Like that that's very that's yeah. good. That's good. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> For somebody who wanted to die ostensibly so badly, right. he I love that. I love that reveal of when he True. opens his shirt and it's this like beautiful, smooth Brad Pitt ninety four chest. <laughs> <laughs> you lack the courage of your convictions. Um, well, they did change that backstory for the movie because in the book it was just his brother that died, and that's why he was so like despondent. But I guess that wasn't like important enough for like the big screen, so they changed it to his wife. And I think they even mentioned his wife and son in the movie. It's not just yeah, the wife, wife that died. Wife and- yeah, wife and child. Child, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? Because she died in, in childbirth. Sure. Yeah, I think it's that, and yeah. so I think they, I think the filmmakers just kind of thought that that might be make it give it a little bit more weight behind his like his sorrow and his you know malaise than just a, a sibling. So he meets, um, but that also throws his good guy backstory, like you were saying, because yeah. <laughs> so then he gets made by uh, he gets turned into a, a vampire by Lestat, which. I feel like Lestat gives him a choice, but I feel like Lestat kind of. But does he? But does he though? <laughs> he just sort of. He just sort of has to go with it. He keeps telling him, "I'm I'm giving you a choice," mm-hmm. but he's like half dead when he's giving him the choice to begin with. But classic Lestat though. True. <laughs> in Lestat's mind, Very he true. was giving him a choice, and I love that I have in my notes that Lestat is like wanting him to be out and proud to be a vampire. It's like you don't need to kill rats or yeah. strangle poodles. You can just kill people. It's okay. It's it's uh, who we are. And it's like having that one gay friend when you first come out that takes you to gay bars and really wants you to have a good time. He's just like all cool gay people wear rainbow, you know, like bracelets and like rainbow mm-hmm. like necklaces. Like that's what all the cool people do. Like he he wants Lestat to like put on that little muscle shirt and go out to West Hollywood with him. On day one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And Louis is just such a drip. Like he has such a hard time getting into it. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, understandable. I yeah. guess. I guess. I don't know. Maybe he just wasn't the wrong, the right person to choose for this because Claudia was just like, "Fuck it, I want some more. Like, let's do this." And yeah, right. so he <laughs> ends up get like having a baby, <laughs> having a kid to save the relationship, like sure. many a marriage. <laughs> <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. And uh, oh, there's like that co- whole cool like scene where it's like there's like the plague and like they're like hauling away the dead bodies. Yeah. Love that. I think it's so sad when you first get introduced to Kirsten's character of how long has she been there? Oh, the mom is definitely. The mom looks like she's been, been dead for a while. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, and then Lestat comes in and like starts dancing around with the dead body. I like love that. that little piece of score that oh. Elliot Goldenthal did when he starts dancing. That's a, that's a great scene. Tom Cruise goes all in on that one. Yes, she, he does. There's still life in the in the old lady yet. Yeah, um, yeah. The score is really cool. Elliot Goldenthal did the score. Um, believe that Elliot Goldenthal composed operas before he did movie scores. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. It's he won a he won an Oscar for Frida, and he did the Batman. And Robin score, the Joel Schumacher, the Batman Joel Schumacher one. So oh, he wow. did the he did the Schumacher Batman theme. Well, that's the superior mm-hmm. score in my book. Claudia's introduction is very sad; it's very tragic. Mm-hmm. But like you were saying before, like there's some really brutal stuff in this movie, especially when like Lestat is trying to like teach Louis like the ways of like catching hoes okay so i guess are they trying to tell us that lestat kind of has like a moral compass for who he goes after he likes going after the upper class because i think that they taste a little better but he said specifically that that old lady he said that if they do bad stuff evil doers doers. taste better yes because he because she like she like uh, hired that kid to like kill her husband and like all that stuff. So they're, I think they're introducing like a Dexter kind of a situation, mm. right? Where it's like, okay, he's bad and he's killing people, but they're all like degenerates and low lives, right? Or maybe he's secretly a socialist and it's like an eat the rich sort of situation. <laughs> uh, <laughs> possible, but I think the character of Lestat was like super uh, aristocratic to begin with, so. <laughs> I mean, Lestat is great. If you have to pick a character who you're rooting for, I mean, nobody's rooting for Louis, right? Definitely. For yeah, for sure. For sure. And that's He's the most fun. And that's what's fun about the books in that Interview with the Vampire is written from Louis's point of view. And then the next book is the Vampire Lestat. And it's like Lestat saying, no, 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 no. This is really how it went. Yeah, that's not how it happened. So she has fun playing with narration in the books of yeah. whose story do you do you really believe? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a little clip of uh, of Lestat that we pulled because it kind of illustrates the frustration that well, it definitely illustrates the frustration that Lestat has with Louis, but. If you kind of go into it understanding that they're in this kind of like pair bond life partner situation, the way that Tom Cruise is playing it just kind of speaks to I think I think it really speaks to him understanding that dynamic of their characters. Definitely. Um, regardless of the fact that he Tom Cruise specifically said we're not sharing a coffin on screen, which was in the script. 
But he's, oh, really? Yes, yes. The first night that he puts, the first night that he changes Louis and puts Louis in a coffin and says like, "Good night. You got to sleep in the coffin. I'll see you in the morning." All that. They are supposed to be in the coffin together. And Tom and that was like and bridge Tom too Cruise, far for yes. young Tom Cruise. Yes, indeed. And that was a specific note that he said, "I'm not doing that." Um, hmm. Having said that. I still think he kind of understands the the characterization, and so that's why we recorded this little this little bit here. Uh, yeah, perfect, perfect. Just burn the place, burn everything we own. Have us living in a field like cattle. You thought you could have it all. Oh, shut up, Luigi. Come here. He's just so frustrated with him. I love how prissy. Tom Cruise at times yeah. plays this character. They're just like two <laughs> bickering gay men. <laughs> Shut up, Louie. And then just <laughs> through that, through all of that, and Tom Cruise just like eating up the scenery and just like, ah, just being so frustrated. You just have Brad Pitt just like, uh-huh. Uh. <laughs> His one expression. Yeah, brooding. Yeah, from here we get banished to the sewers because they've lost the plantation because all the like voodoo heathens think they're think they're like demons. But this is where we eventually get Claudia. Do they talk about how they get money again? Well, I was discuss- I was talking earlier that I think that Lestat is smart enough financially that he knows that he has to keep funds stashed away somewhere for moments like these and i think that he's as he's a pretty good grifter so we could probably just trick an old lady out of her money true right. too. but they don't they don't specifically address it in the movie though do they i yeah. don't know i don't think so i don't because think they all do. of a sudden they just like they've got a new house you know they've got like they're giving claudia piano lessons having like right. couture gowns made for her gowns gowns <laughs> beautiful, beautiful gowns, gowns. <laughs> a very fabulous porcelain doll collection that she has yes indeed you get her one every year for her birthday um, oh that is the scene i remember most the dead body viewing. the dead body of the woman and the, the dolls, dolls yeah. yeah that's that, a great yeah. that's a great scene yeah that, yeah that's a really good one that's that's a scene where she's just kind of like She's having a tantrum, but I think she's still holding it down as like she's delivering these lines and they're big lines. Um, interesting thing about uh, the big scene where she cuts her hair and it grows back um, immediately. You mentioned that it's from another book, right? It's Yes, it's yeah. from it's from the vampire Lestat and it happens because he changes his mother in the vampire Lestat and that character does that and it happens to her and they wrote it into Claudia because that maybe at the time they were just like, this is never going to get made. Yeah. (laughs) But it's a really evocative scene and it just kind of explains what I like about this is that it's 1994, right? So these are like old school vampires. Like they turn to dust in the sunlight you know, they've got fangs, they drink blood. It's like none of this, like, you know, like new age, new, you know, new millennium vampire nonsense. You know, these these are like old school, like Eastern European but you, folk tales. But you can't kill them with the, with the crucifix or a stake, though, too. Sure. 
I mean, she does kind of... It was her own little twist on it. Yeah, she establishes her own little twists on it at the beginning, but they are, I think they're still very, like, old school, like, folklore vampires. They're kind of, they're scary, they're romantic, and they're elegant, and they're hunters, too. I love that sound effect whenever Lestat lunges at someone. Yeah. It's that hiss. Yeah. When he, of when he attacks someone. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very, like, animalistic movements and all of that. Um, Just because, like, modern vampire movies, like, I think they started a new trend with, like, uh, the Underworld movies and those vampires were a certain way. And then then we go completely skewed with, like, Twilight and they just completely turn into, like... Like, are they even vampires? Like, I always thought it was super shady when I think that Stephanie Meyer was quoted in Entertainment Weekly when they asked her, what do you think about Anne Rice in Interview with the Vampire? And she just dismissed it as just being, like, gross and disgusting. <laughs> and I don't want anything to do with that. It's just like, I don't know her kind and of response. like, okay, Stephanie Meyer. Like, you can, you can just sort of, Did like, she, slow like, your role there. She's umbilical cord. Yeah. Like, right? <laughs> true, true. <laughs> yeah. So I yeah, I just feel like this is this was at a time when they were like, okay, we're going to do vampires and we're going to like fucking do them right. They like can't you know, they got to stay out of the sunlight, like all of these old school rules like, you know, the coffins and everything. Um and the visual look of them, you've never have quite seen movie vampires like they are in this movie. I think that Stan Winston does a really good job of making this is the universe of vampires. Because, like, they subtly do veins in their face. Oh, uh, the veins are... Didn't they have to um, be, yeah. when doing makeup, they had Very to sort cool. of uh, lie upside down and they would trace where the... That's what that's what all the trivia says, is that they had to hang upside down for, like, 20 or 30 minutes so the blood would rush to their face and then stand up. And as they would stand up, like, the makeup artist would come in and trace their, like, capillaries on their face. And then, yeah, and so that from there they had a template to do, like, so the veins would look more realistic than if they just started painting them on. Hmm. Well, they did look very realistic. They did. They look, yeah, agreed. That robot replacement for Tom Cruise when Claudia slits his throat and and he's dying... That's all with a robot. That's like a it's like a puppet, right? Yeah, it's an animatronic and it like gets like it gets like more and more emaciated mm-hmm. as it like falls to the ground. It's pretty crazy. It looks really hmm. well done. Um Yeah, the 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 vein work is really cool, but something that I did that I did notice again as a one of those people that I'm just gonna be like, well in the book <laughs> in the book, they cried their tears were blood, much like in True Blood. Yeah. But they didn't do that here. Uh, I don't know if it was just CGI would have been too expensive or, you know, they just didn't want to deal with it. They just said, who cares? They didn't cry too much in this. You see that you see that, that, right? you see that drop on on his hand like- when they when they cut back to the scenes with Christian Slater. Sure. Who was supposed to be River Phoenix, right? Yeah. yeah. So River Phoenix was cast, and they were all, I think they were like less than a week into filming, and he died outside the Viper Room in LA. 
and they had to quickly put Christian Slater in the role. Uh, it could have been it could have been Stephen Dorff. I could see I could see a ninety four Stephen Dorff in this role. Yeah. I could see it probably passing uh, by Ethan Hawke possibly too. Yeah, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, but Stephen Dorff did go on to do his own series of vampire movies. He got Blade. Oh, he's so good in Blade oh, too. Yeah. Blade. Oh, he's. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we rewatched Blade. The first Blade was like two years ago, mm-hmm. and that was. Kind of, it was the first time I had sat down and just watched Same. Blade start to finish in oh, years. My brother and I saw them all in the theater. Oh, that's amazing. I love that. Yeah. Even even Blade Trinity with Parker Posey? <laughs> uh, especially Blade Trinity. <laughs> I remember seeing Blade 1. I didn't see it in the theater, but I, I rented it uh, and watched it and just thought, this movie is way better than it needs to be. Like, I just... Yeah. I don't know why I just assumed it was going to be kind of corny or whatever. And I was watching going, this is like really good. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. We have, uh, my, so my sister and brother and I, we would like have, you know, the eight hour VHS tapes. Oh, yes. We would record like four movies mm-hmm. on them and they'd be our bonding tapes. And nice. so we have, you know, they're like toy soldiers, don't tell mom the baby's dead, <laughs> like all these sorts of things. But then my sister and I had one that was just Stephen Dorff movies. And I think we only we've just put in like a teeny little sliver of him from Blade, okay. where he looks especially hot in one scene. Sure, uh, but yeah, Stephen Dorff back in the day. Oh my goodness! Yeah, indeed. Right? And also, you mentioned toy soldiers. Oh my goodness gracious! <laughs> we'll have to get to we'll have to get the toy soldiers eventually. Of all time, it's a good one. <laughs> so, so good. Indeed, another. Interesting detail. I think that she goes into more in the books, mm-hmm. but you can kind of see it in this movie is that these vampires are so above human urges that they don't even need sex. I think that yeah. sex for these vampires is drinking someone's blood. Like they are just high off of being a vampire. Yeah. That they don't need to fornicate because it's just like it's below them. They don't need it. Well, and that's why Lestat picks Louis or doesn't think that, you know, doesn't have to be a woman for him to pick to be his, like, life mm-hmm. partner or, like, companion just because I'm bored and I need somebody and it would have to be a woman. Like, they that's just why live, he can go for They Louis. just live sexually fluid. Well, it's not even that. It's yeah. just they. It's just the companionship. Mm-hmm. It's just whoever I'm with, I'm with because I want, you know, I can tolerate this person. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I have a little clip. In the books as well, they never, vampires never have sex with other vampires either. Right. Nothing. Correct. Mm. It's like that in the books. Yeah. It's not there. And, and I think it's kind of what Scott was saying. They're kind of like, um, like beyond it, you know, right. physically or spiritually or whatever. Um, I have a little bit of Claudia, uh, talking to Louis about that. But we, I guess if I'm going to do a Claudia clip, I should probably do, uh, the earlier one, so we can kind of keep chronological. Um, should I play the which one of you did it? Yeah. Okay. Um, just because we haven't had a clip in a bit, but let's hear a little bit of Claudia screaming at Tom Cruise. Vampire gone insane that 
builds its own bed. And if I cut my hair again? It will grow back again. But it wasn't always so. I had a mother once, and Louis, he had a wife. He was mortal, the same as she, and so was I. Claudia. You made us what we are, didn't you? Stop running Did you do it to me? Slices his face. I love that shot of when she cuts his mm. face. I love the expression on Tom Cruise's face. Yeah. I love that scene. With scissors. Mm-hmm. Love, yeah. That was a really good, really cool scene. It's also, mm. it's, a, it's, a, it's a very tragic character. It would Claudia? suck to be in the body of an eight-year-old for your entire life. Yes. But why did it take her like 30 years to realize <laughs> that she's not? <laughs> yeah. I think, that, I think that Claudia was just in this weird twilight zone. She was just so... Yeah. A part of their universe that it just took her longer than you would think to question it. Yeah. But three decades, it seems a bit excessive. It's true. Mm -hmm. It's true. And maybe they do go into a little bit. Maybe the timeline is different in the book. And also, but maybe vampires just feel time a little slower than than your mortal person can. Yeah. That 30 years uh, will go by... uh, Kind of longer for them. I think possibly it's because she was just having a lot of fun with her role. You know, her role is like she was kind of the bait. You know, she was able to Mm -hmm. bring people in and lure people, teachers and tutors and, you know, seamstresses and all this stuff. That's a great montage. Yeah. Now it's cut. Yeah. And um, so and just because she was turned so young that she just had this kind of like mindset. um, So possibly she just was. And again, like Scott was saying, her character is a little bit more evil in the book. So possibly it's just she didn't care. She didn't think about it. She was just so focused on the hunt and the game and all of that. Um, that 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 could possibly be it. That might be. That might be looking into it a little bit too much. But you know who knows. <laughs> <laughs> but ultimately, she does want to. Okay, so they. She plots to like get out of this abusive relationship. You know, she fully like poisons Lestat, dumps him in the, in the bayou. She makes him drink from these two twin boys that are dead. Yes. And she kept the blood warm and vampires aren't supposed to drink from the dead. Well, it's a whole, like Anne Rice has her whole set of rules for, for like these vampires. And, and part of the rules are if a person's already dead, can't drink it anymore. So <clears throat> when they eventually get away, you know, they're like packing up the condo. That's when the stat comes back. He's all gross and, you know, corroded and, and all that. Um, and they make their way to Europe. And they're looking for more vampires. Yeah. But they just can't find any. And because uh, uh, Lestat doesn't know all that much about where he came from, at least how, how they do it in the movie. I think it's different in the book. Right. So my question is, how old is Lestat? During all of this, I take it that Lestat would have been turned like. Well, I mean, I don't know. I can't. I don't know. It's not. I, I can't say like. I can't say like Queen uh, Marie Antoinette times because that was roughly around the time of the Revolutionary War when he meets Louis. Right. So I don't know. Yeah, it's not mentioned at all. So maybe he's probably. It seems like Lestat doesn't even really know what the hell's going on. Like, he's yeah. trying to teach Louis and, like, I'm going to give you the choice that I never had and this is how you do that. But it seems like he doesn't know what's going on because at one point when he tells Louis something about that older woman, Louis's like, how do you know? And he's like, well, read your thoughts. 
and Louis can't because that's not the dark gift is it's different different for for everyone yeah and so it seems like Lestat doesn't even know that Mm -hmm. so it's Mm -hmm. like he just maybe he hasn't been around that long doesn't it kind of like it seems like they're trying to imply that he's that he's older yes I mean all the the Parisian vampires all know him and true that's true they all yeah when they sit, when his name is mentioned around them, they're all like, "Okay, we know who you're talking about." Hmm. We'll have to do some research on this. If only there was a backstory. Oh wait, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages. I don't have that kind of time. <laughs> Maybe in the quarantine, I'll try to revisit the Vampire Chronicles. We'll see if I get there. I mean, don't we all get some like free Audible books? Because of this whole situation, is that happening? I have five free audible credits. <laughs> I have. Right I I think I have like six. Oh my god, um, Darcy! I'm surprised that kind of a little uh, side note on Anne Rice. I'm surprised that you weren't super into the Sleeping Beauty books. I am. I'm honestly, I'm shocked that I did not get into Anne Rice. I don't. I guess maybe my older sister was. I. He got most of my reading material that I wasn't supposed to have from her. Yeah. And she was burned to Anne Rice. And then by the time it turned into a, into where I could get my own Anne Rice books, I had just moved on or it never occurred to me. Yeah. Uh, I, I definitely will read them now. I'm very curious mm-hmm. now. My and sister Paige, really... Like you said, yeah. We have time. Yeah, exactly. I remember my older sister was very into uh she had a separate um story, uh The Mayfair Witches. And I think she, I think there was a crossover between the Mayfair Witches and the Vampire Chronicles, but they were their own, you know, um series. And she, and uh my older sister got into the Mayfair Witches first, and that's how she learned about the Vampire Chronicles. I love that for all of these Anne Rice books, I'm sure that there is a script floating in some studio filing cabinet that both Anne and Christopher Rice have probably just written the entire script for. Well, weren't they going to do a television series? I think they were going to do The Body Thief, which Christopher Rice did the script for, and they were supposed to do a Hulu series that has since been canceled. Yeah, I was going to say. In development. Yep. Canned. That's too bad. It could have worked. Yeah. And I think that a story like this... It would be kind of cool if you did it episodic and you started from the beginning and you worked yeah. through the entire books. Yeah, just do an HBO series. Mm-hmm. Get a couple seasons out of it. I think that there's been enough time since True Blood that you could sort of like, yeah, like put some yep. gas in the car for that. Yeah. yeah, I think so. Well, we event- they eventually make their way to Europe. They find these uh, Parisian vampires. The Commedia del Arte vampires. Yes, indeed. And it's run by... The theater kids. <laughs> they are definitely theater kids. Um, it's run by Santiago and Armand, uh, played by Antonio Banderas and Stephen Ray. And um, again, I just think these two actors, they're fine actors. They are lovely actors. They do a great job in this movie. They're just crazy old for the characters so, as written. I did look up what Antonio was coming off of for American movies. He was uh-huh. in The House of the Spirits okay. and Philadelphia. 
So I think kind of Philadelphia was his like big introduction to America. Yes. Yeah. And Truth or Dare. Right. Where is he in Truth or Dare? Is he backstage somewhere? No, you don't remember Madonna's Truth or Dare when she goes to an Almodovar party? She kind of like crashes a party. Oh, we there, were just rewatching Truth or Dare the other day, and we didn't, and we didn't make it to this no. part. I forgot about that. There's a she gets invited to an Almodovar party and sits between Antonio Banderas and his wife, or his wife at the time, mm-hmm. and just like starts talking to him the whole time. And Antonio speaks zero English. And it's just like, uh-huh. And Madonna's just like, we're going to go home and bone. And his wife's sitting right next to her. Uh, it's amazing. It's a great scene. When was the last time you revisited <laughs> Truth or Dare, Darcy? Uh, it's coming up in a decade, I got to say. It's pretty good. We I just bought it off iTunes for, for $5. Uh, so, <laughs> the best so. $5 we've ever spent. <laughs> It's a great movie. Um, so these vampires are super suspicious of Louis and Claudia because Claudia's a child. Yeah. They do say that they only have like one law. Or, or Which I think they're one unspoken law is that you can't kill another vampire. Be- no, because Santiago specifically says like kill your own kind. Yeah. That's the one thing that'll like – like yeah like the death penalty or whatever they're already having a population problem but <laughs> that they're endangered they can't have vampires killing each other yeah that's true but they can kind of read thoughts because they mm-hmm. they read louis thoughts about lestat yeah and that's how they kind of find out about that but they're in trouble for tons of reasons they hate claudia she's too young they think he killed lestat like all of this and so they're kind of on the run from the very beginning but Claudia knows, okay, they're setting this whole thing up that, like, Armand wants to keep Louis with him as his, like, new companion, and they're, like, falling in love or whatever. But it's, like, they hardly have any scenes together. And I don't think that Antonio and Brad Pitt, like, really have any chemistry. Yeah. Right? No. Mm-hmm. Agreed. So it's like they're Although talk- I feel like in the movie, Brad Pitt could not have chemistry. He's like a loaf of bread in this. There's also true. Zero chemistry coming off of him. <laughs> from all of also, also true. He doesn't have a lot of chemistry with Tom Cruise, but you forgive it because Tom Cruise is like so like big and boisterous. Like, and- has enough for both of them. Yes, sure. exactly. Um, so okay, right, so that's a good point. <laughs> so that's a good point. But that leads that leads us to this. You think I would let them harm you? No, you would not. Danger holds you to me. Love holds you to me. Love? Love. You would leave me for a mod if he beckoned you. Never. He wants you as you want him. He's been waiting for you. He wants you as a companion. He bides his time in that place. He finds it as dull and lifeless as we do. Perhaps, yes. Do you know what his soul said to me? Without saying a word... Let him go, he said. Let him go. Is that what I should do, Louis? Let you go. My father. My Louis. <laughs> so I think Armand's, like, vampire power is like telepathy. Mm-hmm. Some of that dialogue is a little weird. My father. My Louis. <laughs> 
That's a lot. That's a lot for a child actress. Like, could you imagine, like, Kirsten's mom just, like, reading the script and just being like, okay, we're going to do our lines. And <laughs> he wants you as you want him. All right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, Kirsten's. I remember. Oh, go ahead. I was, I was going to say, like, Kirsten's, like, doing these lines like a pro. I mean, it's just. It's not really a cutesy performance that she's she's like delivering the shit out of these out of this dialogue. Yeah, for sure. I remember it was super weird at the time because all the magazines were coming out and she was getting all these interviews, you know, and it was like Kristen Kristen Dunst, her first kiss ever, first on screen kiss is her first real kiss. And it's with Brad Pitt, <laughs> who's like 20 years older than her and she was really creeped out by it and everyone was like what was it like kissing brad pitt just like creepy i'm 11 yeah <laughs> and it's one of those things that when you see the context of the movie she just pecks him on the lips like I yeah don't, yeah I don't, like, it's, it's not a romantic it's kiss. kind of a scene that was blown way out of proportion of when you actually see it yeah agreed but what a weird thing to be a child actress mm-hmm. and have that yeah there's big <laughs> no yeah it's totally true and and like you said it was everywhere and people were constantly asking her about it and all of that so yeah that's i mean that's a crazy memory but kirsten Dunst has that story of her first on screen yeah <laughs> i love the picture of the premiere with all of them we'll post a picture of it but it's this great picture of Brad Pitt in his long, trashy hair, Kirsten being a little kid, and Tom Cruise all at the premiere. Well, Brad Pitt had bleached out his hair, so it was like all bleached mm-hmm. and like and like brassy. And then didn't Tom Cruise have like magnolia hair at this point? Yeah. He had sort of his page boy yeah. cut. When was Magnolia? Ninety nine. Oh, okay. So it was a little bit beforehand. But yeah, it was it was that like chin length Tom Cruise like stringy hair. Mm-hmm. There there are some really good pictures from the premiere. <laughs> but this is this all leads up to like the big like like the big crazy special effects shot, the big like cool like Louis big scene in the movie mm-hmm. where like Claudia and oh I mean we haven't even talked about like her weird like surrogate mother. Yeah, so kind of her her plan out for this relationship is that she's going to have Louis turn this French woman into a vampire, and that's going to be your, her new companion. Yeah. So that she can finally sever ties with Louis because Louis wants to go off with his husband, his new, <laughs> his new boyfriend. Sure. Who he's had one scene with in Zero Chemistry. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was a language thing. I don't know. I'm just hung up on this whole... <laughs> I'm just not buying it, Antonio and and, and Louis. Um, but yeah, so she brings this woman in. The whole thing is, it's a movie. We've got to have like brisk pace, you know, like keep this story going. Uh, Brad Pitt like turns this, or Louis turns this woman into a vampire. She's like transforming and like the very second it's finished, like the French theater vampires like burst through the door and they're like, we're here. It's time to die, little one. Yeah. Yeah, there's 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 a lot going on. They like really have to truncate these scenes because mm-hmm. they're like this movie has already been happening for an hour and a half, and we've got a lot of story to you know a lot of ground to cover. So they kind of like blast through it the last the last few scenes, but they throw those two in the well mm-hmm. at sunrise, and it's pretty gross. <laughs> yeah, they get turned to dust. That seems so sad. 
I still get sad in that scene. Yeah, I mean, she had a good run. She had her like 30 or 40 years of like vampire living. Mm-hmm. But um, Louis gets his like crazy revenge though. Yeah. He goes to town on these vampires living in this living in this theater. He cuts Stephen Ray in half. Oh yeah, with like his his giant reaper. <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> I really love that moment. It's so sad when Louis goes out and he just he just kind of brushes them a little bit with his hand and they just immediately crumble. Well, the interesting thing when we watched it this time is that like I have a memory of like a special effect of them like turning to dust and you don't see it. It's cut. It's just it's, it's just their arm. Yeah. There's like yeah, little bits of like of like an effect coming through and then it it it's like clever editing and then when he goes in you finally see these like pillars of of ash. But like it was so effective that like in my memory I just have this <laughs> this memory of this crazy cool like, you know, effect of seeing it happen, but you actually don't. Mm-hmm. But it's it's just good good movie making right there. Everything after Claudia dying is a little the, the movie's over. The movie point. loses a lot of its momentum when they get rid of Claudia. Yeah, it loses definitely. For sure. It did not need to be two hours long for sure. No, yeah, it, and I'm sure that there It'd there was probably easy. scenes that they had to cut from this movie that it was after, over like, two hours long. I do like kind of skipping ahead of the plot of when uh, what's the Christian Slater character named Daniel? Yeah, I think it's that right. when he's telling Daniel of kind of. When he comes back to America and he essentially starts to live in a modern America, just how that changed the experience of being a vampire, that electricity that you can uh, you can kind of enjoy uh, a lighted room more. You can go to the movies. You well, can yeah. sort of live more as a person and blend into society a little more. And I've always really liked, ever since I was a kid, that... Louis's character kind of escapes his sad life by going to the movies and kind of that's how kind that's of that's how he can see the sun again. That's how we can see the sun again <laughs> and how we can kind of relate to society a little more. And I I, I like that they start with Gone at the Wind. All all Warner Brothers properties by the way. <laughs> Gone at the Wind and then they progress to like Shocking. uh Superman. Yeah. Mhm. Like these beautiful Technicolor movies. Um, and then we... Uh... Well, I mean, he's walking down the streets of New Orleans and he finds their abandoned condo. I like, I like, I like to think that New Orleans just has abandoned old properties that are just lying there vacant. And he goes in the house and... Uh, you know what? Ben and I were just there like four that, weeks ago. That's right. And there are so many like properties for sale. Like, just downtown. Interesting. Like, I can see it. Well, I think that you can actually go to the house that she based their apartment on. Well, the yeah. There's, there's like, Anne Rice tours. Mm-hmm. of Like, she had, like, specific locations in mind and all that. So, I mean, there's there's a, there's a all that going on. In and didn't Nicolas Cage buy her house? Is that right? Yes, he did. Um, um, yes, he did. But he did buy her, um, oh. her mansion <laughs> at one didn't point. Didn't he buy the Marie... Laveau house too. 
Didn't Nicolas Cage buy that house? Was that Nicolas Cage or Trent Reznor? Um, I think it was Nicolas Cage. Yeah, he did buy another haunted house. So who, I thought he bought Anne Rice's house, but I wouldn't swear to it. He might have bought both. So who does uh, who does Louis find in their abandoned townhome? But fucking Lestat. Was Looking it supposed like, to be their old abandoned house, or was it? Just, I take it. Okay, I take it. It's supposed to be their old house or okay. where that house was. Sure, that although, makes sense. Although it did burn down, though. So I don't know. Um, looking like he just crawled out of the swamp. Now, do you know a little backstory of Lestat's timeline? He just went like literally underground. He like yeah. dug a hole, went into the dirt, covered himself up, and this is him just crawling out. And was two hundred years just rejuvenating. And if yeah, mm-hmm. and that was just his way of like getting building himself back up to to life. It like just takes that long. What are your takeaways from when we catch back up with Lestat? Um, <laughs> I think the makeup looked really cool. Yeah, <laughs> I love how he's. Lo- I love how he's sitting in that chair. Too. I like how he's in like an office chair though, because it's got wheels. He's like swerving around, yeah, like a swivel <laughs> office chair. <laughs> he's like, "Don't look at me." No, no. <laughs> Bright light. No. Yeah, yeah, bright light. He's afraid of like the the. Okay, so like, there's like a police helicopter. There's like, like a sh- chopper outside. Shining a light into this house, and but they're just like free. Like Louis just like prancing around in there. And it's like they're they're looking for vagrants. They can see you, but I'm I don't know. I guess he's a vampire. He's like, what are the cops <laughs> gonna do? I'll just murder them. Um, but this all leads back to like the, the interviewer. Yeah, who is just like. Kind of the framework of the story is yeah. uh, Christian Slater's character named Daniel, and he's sitting down with Louis, and he's telling, he's like uh, dictating his life story, like he's Jackie Collins or something. <laughs> Hence the uh, the interview from the title. Uh, but yeah, so at this point, he's like, okay, if this is real, then if this is real, then uh, I want in. Essentially, I mean, but wouldn't you? Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but Louis like, no, fuck you. You learn nothing. It's exactly the opposite of what I'm trying to tell you by like giving you my whole life story and just kind of like pieces out and leaves him there. And then I like that Christian Slater runs downstairs. This neighborhood in San Francisco looks garbage from the way they're like depicting it in like this slow <laughs> like steady cam shot at the beginning there's like vagrants and like hobos and like all these like uh just like shit on the walls and like all this gross stuff and like he comes out of the building and it's like all like it just looks like a gross grimy downtown area and he jumps agreed and but he jumps into his like convertible like classic car with the top down that he just left in this like skid row. Um, <laughs> I feel like that car would have like, and no, it was fine. Yeah. I feel like that car would have like no tires. Oh yeah. Those, <laughs> those hubcaps are going to be gone. <laughs> yeah. He's going to come down get in that car. It's going to have like no front seat. <laughs> it's going to be completely stripped, but <laughs> no, it's totally fine. He jumps in, he's trying to chase Louie down and who happens to be in the back seat? Lestat's in the, the back seat. Mr. Lestat. This is one of those endings that I could see numerous endings being written, numerous endings being shot, but I like that they landed on this one. 
Because, I mean, mm. who do you want to end your movie on? You obviously want your fucking movie star, Tom Cruise. And it's such a yeah. fun scene right. of when he takes out, when he takes the wheel of the car and you see him, like, uh, puff up his sleeves underneath his leather jacket that he's just put on. His little lace, like, cuffs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, and I love that he's still rocking this fucking shirt that he's had <laughs> on for now hundreds of years. Yeah. And he listens to the tape and he takes it out and he's just, like, just bitching. Do you know how long I've been listening to this fucking guy talk like, oh fuck you louis i know pretty much everything that darcy's been saying louis calls out <laughs> at the end of this movie so i i almost feel like it's kind of meta that it knows brad pitt's bad in the movie and it's commenting on it <laughs> which is kind of clever <laughs> yeah i think he's more but comment- there, uh, all right i just turned slater gonna go on and become this like badass vampire and he and Lestat are gonna have so much fun together yeah he's totally like because he's fully choosing this life so he's into it you know he's all in like right so yeah, yeah i feel like if these two like went on and had some escapades it would be like totally fun and interesting i'd watch that movie of yeah. brad pitt and I'd christian slater yeah but sadly we never got that nope all we got was this like crazy uh well first of all we got we were treated to this uh cover of sympathy for the devil by guns and roses I mean, Sympathy for the Devil is not by any means is not my favorite Rolling Stone song, but this Guns N' Roses cover is pretty terrible. There's a reason why this has been kind of forgotten. (laughs) Yeah. I only ever remembered it from this movie. It was not a hit song by any means. Um, But yeah, we skipped right over what what we could have seen in this, and we got Queen of the Damned, what, 10 years later? Oh, two. Eight years later? Yeah. Wow, it felt like longer. And I remember reading in Premiere Magazine when they first announced it and just kind of being like, oh, are they going to get Tom Cruise back? No. <laughs> they got Mr. Charlie Theron at the time, Stuart Townsend. Stuart Townsend. And I mean, it's just a really Stuart hard... Townsend. Oh. It's just a really hard performance to follow up to. That, like, how are you going to do that justice? Like, Tom Cruise already knocked that role out of the park. But also, the storyline of Queen of the Damned right. is so dated. Yeah. Like, he comes back to, like, he comes back to life because he, like, hears the siren song of a garage band. And how <laughs> Anne Rice writes it, it's like an older lady writing about how she thinks rock music is. Yeah. So it's just sort of cringeworthy <laughs> of just even how she writes it. Yeah. And they got and they got the uh, the timeless Jonathan Davis from Corn to like provide all of the the musical <laughs> stylings for that movie. And you always swear not by, dated at all. Corn. And, and you always swear by <laughs> that Queen of the Damned was meant to be maybe straight to video. I think it was, but like to be it was to supposed video. to be a B movie. Yeah. That when Aaliyah died in the plane crash, they just sort of put all of this money in yeah. post production to make it. A bigger sure. deal than what it actually was. Yeah, yeah, which the, makes sense. Yeah, totally. I mean, of course you're going to capitalize on that, but yeah, it just plays like a Cinemax movie. Definitely, when you watch it, it just plays like straight to cable. But you know, that's neither here nor there. We're here to talk about. Do we want to just interview the mention family? a little bit, kind of wrapping up here, just about the career of Kirsten Dunst, since this was. Our Kirsten Dunst voted episode. <laughs> Do any of you guys have like any 
like takeaways of of Kiki Dunst? Because I feel like when she got her star on the Walk of Fame earlier this year, there was a BuzzFeed article or something that was kind of writing about how Kirsten Dunst has just been sort of underestimated her entire career. Yeah. And she hasn't quite gotten the the love from her peers that maybe she should have. Sure. Kind of, she comes from, like, her contemporaries are Natalie Portman. Yeah. Um, Anne Hathaway. Just yeah. sort of, they went on to get this these Oscar bait roles that ended up winning them Academy Awards. And that sort of skipped over Kirsten Dunst because Kirsten Dunst chose to just work when she was a young adult. I mean, yeah. she made Spider-Man when she was probably 18, 19 years old. And she consistently made those for like five years. Yeah. And then she would just kind of do little bit roles and the occasional leading stuff too. And yeah, I mean, and when you look back at her performance, I feel like she's an actress that's always consistently good, even if she's not in great movies. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, even in Fargo, the TV show. She's so like, good I in Fargo. In- yeah, I didn't buy her as someone from Minnesota. I did not buy her Minnesotan <laughs> accent 100%. Uh, but yeah, she's great in that. We just yeah. started watching On Becoming a God in Central Florida, and she's very well used on that show. Uh, yeah, it's her new Showtime series. She's reunited with Alexander Sarsgaard from Melancholia. I forgot they were in that together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Was there anything from the vote, Pete, that you were kind of surprised of people didn't vote for, what people voted for? I knew Bring It On was going to be a big yes. hit with people because it's just that nostalgia mm-hmm. like, thing. Coming off of like the late 90s teen movies. I thought, uh, I thought that Eternal Sunshine would get more. It was beat up by Melancholia. Yeah. Melancholy is such a hmm. weird movie that I didn't think anybody had seen. I think also Kirsten Dunst in Eternal Sunshine gives a very underrated performance in that movie. Yes, agreed. and I think that her character, like the whole movie, sort of revolves around this. I mean, it doesn't revolve around the character, but she's very integral of the plot of that movie. Yeah, that I think that it she's, is a small, small role, and she's yeah. given some really great moments in that script by Charlie Kaufman. Another Kirsten Dunst role that I feel like if we were looking to give Kiki an Oscar nomination, it should have been for this, is a movie that Pete and I love. I don't know if you've seen it. Is The Cat's Meow. Have you ever seen The Cat's Meow? I do love The Cat's Meow. Where she plays yes. Marion Davies? Uh, I used to, when I worked at a video store, I used to watch that all the time because you could have it on when customers were coming in and out. <laughs> yeah, and she plays Marion Davies in that movie, and it's about the murder of Thomas Ince on William Randolph Hearst's yacht in the 20s. Yeah. And I mm-hmm. think that she's really underrated in that movie, and no one talks about The Cat's Meow. Nobody knows about that movie. Great movie. Do you have any favorite Kirsten Eddie Dunst Izzard, performance? Right? Yes, plays Charlie Chaplin in it. Yeah. Do you have any other favorite Kirsten Dunst performances? Um... I'm blanking on the name, oddly, but it's one with young Jay Hernandez. Crazy Beautiful. Crazy Beautiful. Crazy Beautiful won our first bracket over Bachelorette, which Bachelorette is a really underrated comedy, too. But I feel like it has its fans. 
it has its following. Yeah, Crazy Beautiful was big for a lot of people. That was that was definitely a, a big one when it came out. Because that was sort of getting Kirsten out of. Uh, it was kind of she was going into more adult roles, and it was her one of her last big right. teenage roles was that movie. I think that was released the same summer. Oh no, it was released the year after Bring It On. I think that was a mid two thousand one yes. movie. Like a whole like low rise. <laughs> she has a lot of cute tops in that movie too. She does. She's very cute in that movie. Yeah, I mean, I feel like for oh, me. Oh my god. Okay, I've got like two left in my phone battery. Okay. I might have to say goodbye, you guys. Okay, thanks for coming yeah, on the show. We'll wrap this up. It was so good uh, catching so up, Darcy. Me. Though. This is amazing. Yeah, you take care out there. All right. Uh, All right. Stay safe. Bye. All right. See you later. All right. Well. We should wrap this up as yeah, well. Yeah, definitely. Um, Any last last bits that you want to say about Kirsten? I mean, like I said, what we already mentioned about her performance in this movie, she has some like heavy bits of dialogue. Um, holds holds her own next to two of the biggest movie stars in the world at that time. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, just kind of set the stage for like a long career. Mm -hmm. And um, this movie definitely had an impact on me growing up. Um, Me as well. Yeah. And I think it really holds up. It does not feel dated. No. And it's it's kind of like I mentioned earlier, I think a lot of it is how it's directed by Neil Jordan, that he really elevates this material that so could have easily gone pulpy. It could have been cheesy. It could have just been this extravagant B movie. Yeah. But it doesn't come off like that at all. Yeah, for sure. I think it's a very sincere movie. Yeah, totally. Um yeah, and it just it looks beautiful. It sounds beautiful. Like this, everything about it put together makes it work. Yes, makes it what it is. The score, the makeup, the visual costumes by like, Sandy Powell. Yeah, like all of they it, they all come together. together. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And it's one of those things that I don't think this movie could have been made in the eighties, or if it would have been made in the eighties, I don't think it would be very good. It wouldn't have had the budget. No, you know, yeah. It needed. It needs effects. It needs you know. Mm-hmm. Needs all that, and it just wouldn't have been able. Yeah, to just movie making it. at the time. I don't know if you could have gotten some of these big money shots of this movie. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, so yeah, and it's it's a great movie. It's a great Kirsten movie. It's a great movie that made us gay movie. It just fits our you know like everything that we're doing. And it's so interesting that a movie with subtext this loud was just made its way to multiplexes. Yeah. And it was just this big hit. And with the star like Tom Cruise, who has had gay rumors nagging him his entire mm-hmm. career, it's crazy that he even was like... That oh, he even did it? Like, yeah. do you think he just didn't think about it? Do you think he was just like, oh, no, that's not what this is about. It's about this. Yeah. Like, who knows? Like, But it's one what? of those things that when you look at the performance that he's giving, clearly he knows yeah. what he's getting into. I th- I think he had to have. Yeah. 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 Um, Which you have to give credit for Tom Cruise, too. Sure. Yeah. 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 I mean... I have a feeling we haven't seen the last of Tom Cruise. We have yet to do Legend on the show, and Legend was a very big deal for me when I was yes. a young gay kid. He's super cute in that movie. Um, I remember 
the scenes in Magnolia where he's in his bikini briefs, mm-hmm. those were a big deal. <laughs> I don't think that we're we're going to be doing Magnolia, but no, but not yeah. if I have anything to say about it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean Tom Cruise, he for better or for worse, he's an icon. Definitely, you know, for better or for worse, he's a movie star. And like I said earlier, I give Tom Cruise a lot of shit. But I hope that he sort of circles back to roles like this as he grew, as he sort of ages out of being a movie star. Yeah, I want to see him do these big character roles. Yeah, that I think he's really good in. He yeah. is, but he just does. He doesn't have to do it anymore. So it's like, yeah. Mm. But I hope that he. I hope that he circles back to it yeah. eventually. Agreed. Agreed. They have to get that like that that career Oscar for him somehow. <laughs> we'll see about that. Um, but yeah, this, I mean, this movie's super gay. If you have not seen it, go watch this movie. I strongly recommend you watch this movie. Or um, if you haven't seen it in quite a few years, go back yeah, and revisit, revisit it. revisit it for sure. Good for one sure. to revisit during the quarantine. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, it's not on streaming on anything right now, so you have to rent it, but you know, it's worth it. Um... Or like we said before, uh, you could read the books. There, I'm going to try to pick yeah. up my leather-bound Barnes Noble edition yeah. of the Vampire Chronicles and give them another go because that has the big three. Yeah, in one big volume. Mm-hmm. Okay, I have my I have my individual books around here somewhere. We could probably dig out, but they'll just be covered in dust and cobwebs. But in the meantime. Uh, check out Vampire Chronicles. Check out uh, Interview with the Vampire. It's amazing. Um, you won't be sorry. It's super queer. And if you're drunk one night, just put on Queen of the Damned. Oh, yeah. Definitely. It's worth just... <laughs> Good movie to watch yeah. when you're just a little buzz. Yeah. Indeed. Indeed. Do we have any any closing thoughts, any final thoughts? I think we covered it all. Yeah. It was yeah. a good episode. It was a great episode. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Um, we would love for you to rate and review our podcast. Give rate us, us five stars. Give us five stars. I want to get over 30 five star. Come on. We're five at stars soon. We need more. And, and write we, a review. We need you to write reviews. It's free and you've got nothing but time in your hands during this quarantine. Go do it. Um, yeah. Listen up for the for new episodes coming to you every Friday. Uh, Instagram and Facebook, we are at Movies That Made Us Gay. And on Twitter, we are at MTMUGPod. At MTMUGPod on Twitter. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.